How many of you are glad you serve a great and mighty God? Amen. I'm glad that I don't serve a God that cannot meet our needs. Amen. But the, he is great and he is mighty. I want to continue this evening in our parables of Jesus. Tonight I want to talk to you about the parable of the grain of wheat. But before we do, as always, I want to go to the Lord in prayer. Ask that he anoint me and ask that he anoint you as well. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you are great and you are mighty. Thank you, Father, that every need that we have is met according to your riches and glory. And Father, we all have a need this evening. I have a need for the anointing of your Holy Spirit, for your strength, your wisdom, your power, your revelation, Father, to be a part of everything that I do and everything that I say. And your people need, Father, you to open their ears and to open their hearts that they might receive the word of God with gladness. God, we need you this evening to come against any distraction, any hindering spirit. The struggles and the sorrows and the trials and the tribulations of the week that might try to stand in the way and steal away your word. But I pray in the name of Jesus that not one seed, Father God, would be snatched away. But that every portion of your word, God, this evening would make its way into the soil of our soul. That it would change us into your image and into your likeness. We confess our need for you. And we thank you, Father, for your presence in this place tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Tonight we're going to look at uh, the parable of the grain of wheat. It's taken from John chapter 12, verses 20 to 26. And before we go, I feel like I've got too much, too much house. Maybe back out on that. I seem real echoey. Uh, maybe it's the monitor. That sounds better right there. Is that good for you all? Amen. Maybe I hear a little bit more up here than you. We're going to look at John chapter 12. Verses 20 to 26, the word of God says, now there were certain Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These therefore came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee and began to ask him, saying, we wish to see Jesus. Philip, therefore, came and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them in a parable, saying, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I go there, my servant shall go also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. How many of you want to be honored by the Father? Amen. I don't know about you, but I am glad that the Bible, the Word of God, has given us a way to be honored by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I don't know if that means anything to you, but it means a lot to me to understand that me as a man of flesh, me as a sinful man, can be honored by the King of Kings and honored by the Lord of Lords. That you and I sitting in this place today who are filled with faults and filled with failures can still be honored by Jehovah God, the creator of the universe. And I don't know if that means anything to you, but it means a whole lot to me, church. And Jesus in this parable lets us know how we can be honored as human flesh by the King of Kings and by the Lord of Lords. And I hope we understand that. Now, my, my first concern, I'll just let you know before I 
bring you this word. I didn't want it to be too teachy uh, this evening, but the more that I went through it, the more that I read it, the more I studied it, the more that I tried to get some truths out of it. I had to resign myself to the fact that that I'm going to teach you some word this evening. But how many of you know, no matter what portion of the word I preach or no matter how it is brought forth to you, that every portion of the word of God is good food for the soul. Amen. So that's how I want you to receive it. I want you to receive it as food for the soul this evening. And however the Holy Spirit has me bring it forth, that's the way I'm going to do it. But I pray in the midst of it that you receive the truth that God wants to reveal. Uh, before I get into the portion of how we can be honored by the Father, before I get into the body of this parable, the first thing that I want us to look at is this comment that Jesus makes to Philip and Andrew when they come to him, and he speaks about his current lot in life when he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. A lot of times, I don't know about you, but the first time that I read this, I'm thinking, boy, that's an odd spot for him to just stick that comment in. He makes this comment, and then he goes into a parable. So the first thing that I want to look at is verse 23, when Jesus says the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's this hour that had laid at the foundation of Jesus' ministry for over three years was finally here. This is what Jesus is saying. There was an hour laid at the foundation of my ministry from the beginning of time that, that, that has been three years in the waiting. And this hour for me to be glorified, the Son of Man to be glorified is finally here. It's the very hour that Jesus first spoke of. The first time you heard him say, mention anything about this hour was when he was performing his first miracle in Cana at the wedding feast. And he said to his mother, his mother was talking to him about an issue that was going on at the wedding that they had run out of wine. And he said, he said, woman, what is it that I have to do with you? My hour has not yet come. And a lot of people had no clue what that meant. A lot of people today may not have any idea what that means, but it's why I want to focus on it. That hour, even at that moment, had, had finally come. In order for you to understand the statement that Jesus is making in verse 23, we've got to realize that before this moment had come, before this moment right here in this parable where Jesus speaks these words, whenever Jesus taught in the temple, whenever he might have found himself in a crowd speaking some things that rubbed somebody the wrong way, that might have rubbed the Pharisees the wrong way or the Sadducees the wrong way, uh, we, we need to understand that before this very hour, before this moment in time when the Jews sought to kill him on several occasions, and we know that they did, the Bible tells us that no one was able to lay a hand on him. No one was able to arrest him before this hour was come. No one was able to disrupt his ministry because the Bible says he had not yet fulfilled his destiny and because his hour had not yet come. You see, uh, we need to remember and we need to understand that no one... And I promise all of this is going to come together. It might seem like I'm jumping here and I'm jumping there and I'm going to bring it all together. But we've got to remember all along Jesus' ministry, no one could ever take his life. No one could steal his life from him. No one had any authority over his life. No one, regardless of their political position, regardless of their political power, had the power to take Jesus' life. 
It was his to give and it was his alone to give. It's exactly why Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 18, he said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I lay it down of my free will. I have the authority to lay my life down and I alone have the authority to take my life up, Jesus said. And here in verse 23, Jesus is saying, this is the hour that has finally come. This is the hour that I have spoken of on numerous occasions that has, was not yet here, but now here at this moment in time, the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified is finally upon me. The hour for Jesus to lay down his life for his friend, for him to freely sacrifice himself for you and me, that hour was finally here. The moment which Jesus moved towards his entire ministry was finally upon him. It finally arrived. The moment this, this was the moment, this hour that Jesus speaks of in verse 23, it was the very moment that Christ left heaven for. It was the very moment that he stepped off his throne in glory for. It was the very moment that he removed his robe and took off his crown and laid down his scepter for. This was the moment that that he came for. It was his destiny to lay down his life for his friends. This was the moment, church, that would allow you and I to stand blameless before God with great joy. You and I need to understand the power of this hour. We need to understand the reality of what this hour is all about and what it means for you and me. You see, because without this hour, none of us would be here this evening. Without this hour that Jesus talks about, we'd have no reason to clap and no reason to dance and no reason to shout. We'd have no reason to lift up our hands and glorify the Father. Without this hour where Christ was willing to lay down his life sacrificially, We would be lost in darkness without life, still under a curse of sin and death, which we're going to look at later. But Jesus said, the hour for the son of man has finally come. It was the culmination that it was the culmination of everything Christ came for and everything that he did. And it was the hour that he would save the world from their sins. When I talk about this hour, I want you to understand that it's not some 60 minute time frame that you can, that you can calculate or, or watch on your clock. It's a, it's a moment in heavenly history that Jesus is talking about. But here's what I want you to understand and notice about verse 23. This moment was not referred to as the hour that Jesus would die even though he would die in this hour that he's talking about, but rather Jesus referred to it as the hour in which he would be glorified. He referred to it as the hour in which he would be exalted. You see, without this hour, Jesus would be nothing more than a teacher. Without this hour that he's talking about laying down his life, uh, without the hour of the grave, without the hour of his suffering, without the hour of his resurrection, Jesus would have been lost in history with all of the other teachers, with all of the other philosophers, with all of the other prophets that had gone before him. But we understand that the hour came. And because of this hour, Jesus was exalted to a higher place. This was the hour which would give Jesus Christ the name which is above every name. This was the hour in which Christ would be exalted, church, to the highest place of honor. 
We need to understand the true meaning of what this hour is all about. It was because of this hour and it was because of this moment in time, church, that every tongue that has ever rebelled against Christ, every tongue that has ever spoken evil against Christ, every tongue that has ever refused or rejected or denied Jesus Christ will now one day have to bow before him and confess him as Lord. This is what the power of this hour is all about that Jesus is referring to, and it has finally come upon him. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, we find that in this hour, like I said, not in some 60-minute uh, time frame that you can look at in your watch and say, okay, it's here and now it's gone. That's not what I'm referring to. It was a moment in heavenly history where Jesus was crowned with glory and he was crowned with honor because the Bible says he tasted death for every man. And you and I need to realize in this hour that he's referring to, Donnell, great to see you. He, he, he tasted death for every man, the Bible says. It means he tasted death for you and he tasted death for me. He tasted death for our children and for our grandchildren. He tasted death for everyone that went before us and everyone that would come after us. He tasted death for our lost loved ones. He tasted death for mom and dad. And he tasted death for our neighbor, for our co-workers, for everyone in our family. Jesus Christ was glorified and exalted. Why? Because he tasted death for every single man. This is why he was glorified. Jesus was glorified not just because he died, not just because he drank from the bitter cup of suffering, church, but because he died our death. You see, the death Jesus Christ died was our death to die. We were the ones that deserved to die. We were the ones that were deserving to, to go through what Jesus Christ went through. But he was glorified and he was exalted. He was given the name which is above every name, that name which every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Why? Because he tastes death for every tongue of every man. And one day, every tongue will glorify him for that hour that he went through. One day, every tongue that rejected him and every tongue that refused to receive his sacrifice will say, thank you and glory to the name of Jesus. You see, I'm glad that I can glorify him now and I'm glad that you can glorify him now. But let's not wait to this moment in glory where we stand before the Lord when we have to bow and give him thanks. Let us every day thank him for this hour that he submitted himself to. Let us praise him for this hour that he yielded himself to. Let us never forget, church, the meaning of this hour that Jesus Christ forgets about. Because when you forget about this hour... You forget about everything that he did. When you forget about this hour, you forget about the sacrifice and you forget about the pain. You forget about the, the suffering that he went through. You forget about the love that he lavished upon us. And while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Let us never forget the, the power of this hour that Jesus is referring to. This is what Jesus is trying to teach in this. There is power in this hour that I'm referring to. You and I need to realize, and I know that you do, church, Jesus didn't have to die. Jesus never sinned. Jesus never committed adultery. Jesus never told a lie. Jesus never stole. Jesus never killed. Jesus never gossiped. Jesus was, was spotless. He was sinless. The Bible tells us he was blameless. 
Pilate himself, when Jesus stood before Pilate, who had the, the authority to condemn him, stood before the people and said, in this man, I find no guilt. And he washed his hands of the blood of Jesus Christ and set him on because he didn't want anything to do with, with crucifying Christ. He was blameless. There was no guilt found in him, church. Therefore, Jesus was glorified because he died in our place. He was glorified, church, because he bore our guilt and because he bore our shame. He was glorified because he was wounded for our transgressions, because he was bruised for our iniquities. He was glorified because the chastisement of our peace was upon his shoulders. He was glorified and exalted because by his stripes you and I are healed. This is why Jesus Christ was glorified, because he went to the cross when he didn't have to. He was glorified because he died a death he didn't have to die. He was glorified because he suffered the pain that he didn't have to suffer. He was glorified because he took it all upon his own shoulders. So you and I would not have to experience the death that he experienced. He was glorified because through his death, he has offered you and I newness of life. And for those who, who allow themselves to experience that, will understand what the power of this hour is all about. Jesus was glorified, church, because he left his home in heaven and he became flesh for you and me. Because he became man and died in our place. And I, I just want you to grasp that. I want you to understand that Jesus, that, that Jesus came in the form of man so that he could die in our place. You need to understand that he didn't come down as some angel. He didn't come down as some spiritual woo, floaty being because he could never experience what we experience in life. He could never be acquainted with us. He would never know our pains and our sorrows and our sufferings, our hurts, our fears and our doubts. He would not know what it means to be who we are. But he became flesh so that he could die in our place. And that's why he was glorified. He was glorified. And we've got to keep remembering this because even though he came in the form of God, like I said, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. Even though it was right there for him to reach out and claim, even though it was right there, the authority of God was right there for him to reach out and exercise when he could have turned the, the Roman soldiers that were nailing him in, upon the cross. The Bible says he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have called on the authority of God. He could have called on the power of God. He could have called 10,000 angels who were standing at attention in heaven waiting for the voice of their command in chief to cry out help me but he didn't he went silently to the slaughter he went silently like a lamb and all that the, the the halls of heaven heard when jesus was was hanging on that cross was not come and rescue me not come and save me not come and kill these people who are are bitter against me all the halls of heaven heard was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This was the power of the hour Jesus was referring to, because it was in that hour that he forgave every single man of every single sin, no matter how deep and dark it was, as long as they would accept the sacrifice that Jesus had made. You see, the reality is every sin has been forgiven. 
Every sin has been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. We just have to receive the forgiveness. We have to receive the work of Jesus Christ. We have to receive the blood of Jesus Christ so that it might wash away the stain of sin from our soul. There's a world out there, listen, that has been forgiven of their sins because Christ already died their death. They've just not received it. They've just not accepted it. They've just not allowed that blood that has already been shed to wash away the stain of sin. Jesus doesn't have to go die a death every day. He's already died the death. He's already shed the blood. His hour has already come. He's already paid the price for every sin. Amen. What we have to do is accept it. What we have to do is walk in the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. What we have to do is walk the way that Jesus walked so that we might be glorified and honored by the Father. You see, when you and I walk in our own ways, we'll never be honored by the Father. When we walk according to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, we'll never be honored or glorified by the Father. We must walk the way of Jesus Christ. We must walk the way of the cross. We must walk the way of humility. We must walk the way of kindness and meekness and gentleness. We must walk the way of patience. We must walk the way of Jesus Christ. And when we do, we will be honored by our Father, which is in heaven. Amen? Amen. A lot of that wasn't in my notes, so i got to kind of find my way back here. Was the hour, listen. He was glorified and exalted because he became a servant of all. And this is why it was called the hour in which the Son of Man would be glorified. And I want you to... Understand why it says what it says. It doesn't say this is the hour in which the Son of God would be glorified. It says this is the hour in which the Son of Man would be glorified. Because like I said, if Jesus died a death as just the Son of God, we'd not be forgiven. If Jesus died a death just as the Son of God, he could not have taken our place. Do you understand what I'm saying? He had to become the son of man. He had to be born of the flesh so that he could take our place in death. He had to take our place. And the only way that could happen was for him to become the son of man, to be born of flesh, to be called the the son of Mary. This is what Jesus was saying. It was the hour in which the son of Mary would be exalted back to the throne of God. You see, Jesus stepped off the throne of God as the the Son of God, and He became the Son of Man, and He died our death. And because He died our death, and because He paid our price, and because He shed His blood, and because He made Himself nothing, then He was exalted back to the position of Son of God beside the right hand of the Father, and given that name which is above every name. This is what it means whenever you read the Son of God, it means He took my place. Whenever you read through the Bible and it says the Son of Man, it reminds you that Jesus took on flesh. That He was just like you and me. That He was tempted in every single way, just like you and I were tempted. That He felt sorrow, that He felt pain, that He felt hurt. The Bible says Jesus at one point even wept. 
He understands our ways. He had to become the son of man. Why? So that he could become intimately acquainted with all of your ways. So that he could understand the pain that you felt or that you feel. So that he could understand the tears that you shed while you're lying on your bed at night. uh, Overwhelmed by the trials and the tribulations of life. And no one else knows what you're going through. But Jesus, the son of man, knows exactly what you're going through. He knows the weight that you bear. He knows your sleepless nights. He knows your sadness and your sorrow. He knows the things that tempt you. He knows the things that overtake you. And he became flesh so that he could conquer everything that would try to conquer you. This is why he is called the Son of Man. And it was the hour in which the Son of Man or the Son of Mary would be exalted back to the throne. And in verse 24, Jesus outlines how this is to happen. He outlines how the Son of Man is going to be exalted when he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that verily, verily, for those of you who may not know, means surely, surely, or certainly, certainly, or definitely, definitely. That's exactly what it means. Jesus was saying, certainly, certainly. I say unto you, and before I even go on and tell you what it says, I want you to notice the double emphasis that Jesus makes in this passage of Scripture concerning the words that he's about to speak. How many of you know that when God speaks one time, it's a good thing to listen, but when he speaks two times, you better listen, and you better listen right now. And this is what Jesus is saying. The time is urgent. The hour is near. The hour has finally come upon me. I've got no time to waste. I can't fiddle-faddle around. I'm telling you, the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified is here. And you better listen to what I have to say. You see, anytime God speaks, you got to listen. But if He speaks to you twice, you better be very careful As to understand what he's saying to you. You Y'all know Jonah didn't listen the first time. And you know what it cost him. But I promise you the second time God spoke. Woo! He took right off and did what Jesus wanted him to do. There were no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He understood what it meant. To listen to God. And I doubt he ever ever waited for God to speak a second time. So I want to throw that in. When God speaks, listen the first time. When he speaks twice... Get on it and get on it right away. Amen. But this is what he says. Truly, truly, or certainly, certainly, without any doubt, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And I don't want to be teachy here, and here's where I don't want to lose you, and it might seem like I'm going in a different direction. But in order to understand this parable and what Jesus is really saying, you have to understand what I'm about to say or teach you next, okay? And this is this. When man was created, he was created as a supernatural being. I promise I'll bring it all back together. According to the Word of God, as you all know, in Genesis chapter 1, tells us that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit got together one day in heavenly history. And they said and decided, or they said, or they came to the decision that they were going to create man. And they said, let us together, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, create man. Let us create him in our likeness. Let us create him in our image. Not what we look like, not blonde hair, not blue eyes, not tall, not short, not skinny, not white, not black, not any other color in between. What Jesus was saying or what God was saying is let us create man in our image, in our likeness. And according to our character, let us make man. 
Here's what you need to understand. God created man in such a way that man would reflect the power and the dominion and the authority of heaven here on earth. Let us create man not to look like us, but rather to operate like us here on earth. I hope you realize that when God created man in the beginning, he created man as a supernatural being to operate just like God to operate with his power, to operate with his authority, to operate with his dominion. He said to Adam, I am giving you dominion over every every single living thing. He had dominion over life itself, over every single thing God created. He had the dominion and the authority and the power to do with it as he pleased until he sinned. And all of that was gone. And I, and I don't want to get there to yet, but I, God breathed, here's what I want you to understand. God breathed supernatural power into the form of man. He breathed supernatural power into a pile of dirt, the Bible says. And if you don't think there's something supernatural about that, I don't know if you're on the same page as I am. I I can't help but think there is absolutely something supernatural about the fact that God Almighty reached down, got His hands dirty upon the earth, made a little pile of dirt that looked like man, put His head down out of the skies, stuck His mouth up to the nostrils of a pile of dirt, and breathed life into a pile of dirt. If that's not supernatural, I don't know what is. I'd like to see anyone do that. That's supernatural. But the thing that you need to understand is that he did not just breathe life into that pile of dirt. He breathed his authority into that pile of dirt. He breathed his uh, his his image, his likeness, his character, his dominion, and his power into that pile of dirt. And then he said, now I want you to rule and reign over everything that I just created. This is what you have to understand. Man was made in the likeness of God. And according to the word of God, in the beginning, man existed in a supernatural plane above everything else. There was nothing else equal to the supernatural power that man had when he was originally placed in the garden until he sinned. Some of you may have never heard this. Some of you may have never learned this. But in the beginning, man was a supernatural being with the power, dominion, and authority. It was given to him by God until he sinned. Then because of sin, this sinful man named Adam, this supernatural creation called Adam, fell to a lower level. Fell to the level Jesus is likening him to in this parable as a grain of wheat. Man, after he sinned, Adam after he sinned, Eve after she sinned, fell to a level of something that had to die, now had to die in order to live. Just like a grain of wheat. A grain of wheat has to die in order for it to live. A grain of wheat has to be planted into the ground before it brings forth life. You see, the reality is if I put a grain of wheat into your hand and you just hold it there for the rest of your life, you'll never see any growth. You'll never see the power that lies within that seed. You'll never see a root. You'll never see a blade. You'll never see a stalk. You'll never see the fruit. You'll never see the manifested power of God develop from that fruit unless it is planted into the ground and dies and will bring forth fruit. I'm going, to get to, I'm going to get to that in just a little bit as well. But here's what you need to see. Because Adam and Eve, because of Adam and Eve, man fell under the curse of sin and death instead of ruling over it. 
You need to understand this, church, because it's exactly where we are. Adam and Eve were created to have rule over everything, but because they sinned, because they fell, because they rebelled against God, now they came under the authority of sin, and they came under the authority of death. Because they sinned, they were moved down to a lower level. They could no longer operate in the dominion authority and the dominion power that God had originally given them. You need to understand me clearly. If you got sin in your life, if you got compromise in your life, if you don't got Jesus Christ in your life, if you've not been washed white as snow by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are under the curse of sin and death. And you cannot operate under the power and the authority and the anointing. And the dominion of Jesus Christ or of heaven, it will not be made manifest in your life. So many individuals, even in the house of God, are still living under a curse. With things having rule over them. With things having dominion over them. Why? Because they've never planted themselves in the soil of Jesus Christ. Because they've never walked the way of the cross. Because they've never followed in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Because they've never received the sacrifice Christ had made on their behalf. Why did He make that sacrifice? He made that sacrifice simply so that you and I could come back into relationship with God. So that you and I could exercise authority over every unclean spirit. And once again, have dominion and authority over the things God created us to have dominion over. He doesn't want you walking around defeated. He doesn't want you walking down beat up and bruised. He doesn't want you walking around a loser. Listen, the Bible says I am more than a conqueror. How? Through Jesus Christ, the Lord, more than a conqueror. You round me up a bunch of conquerors, round, round me up, round me up all the greatest warriors that history has ever recorded. Put them in one room and understand what I am saying. God is saying, you can round up every mighty warrior that has ever walked across the face of this earth. Put them in one room and I'm telling you, as an individual, through Jesus Christ, you're greater than all of them. You are greater than all of them. You're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. Well, why is it we don't walk around in victory? Why is it we don't walk around as conquerors? Why is it we walk around like this? So, is that a conqueror? You think David marched out to slay Goliath like this? Oh, woe is me, God. Look how big he is. I don't got no weapons. I don't got any tools. He's the greatest warrior of all. He's their champion. I'm a, I'm a dopey little shepherd boy. I got nothing. But that's not what he said. He didn't go in his own strength. How did he go? I stand before you in the name of the Most High God, David said. Because he understood that he was more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ the Lord. Even then, he understood that. You and I need to understand that same exact thing. And the way that you and I are going to experience that is by plugging ourselves into Jesus Christ. By walking the way of the cross. By accepting the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on our behalf. And stop questioning it. The greatest tool that the devil uses is to tell you, you're not worthy of his sacrifice. You're not worthy of his love. You're not worthy of his forgiveness. You're not worthy of his mercy. And you're not worthy of his grace. Guess what? We're not. 
But it's the free gift of God. That's what grace is. It is the unmerited favor of God. You can't do anything to earn it. Neither can I. You just accept it by faith. By faith we are saved, not by works. It's the free gift of God, lest any man should boast, the Bible says. You understand what I'm saying to you. When we can grab a hold of that, we can walk as more than conquerors through Jesus Christ the Lord. Why? Because we're not looking at our faults and we're not looking at our failures. We're not looking at our obstacles. We're not looking at the difficulties. Who are we looking at? We are looking at Jesus Christ. We're looking at Jehovah Jireh, our provider. We're looking at Jehovah Rapha, the God who healeth thee. We're looking at the Prince of Peace, the Lion of Judah. We're looking up unto the hills from whence cometh our help. Our help comes from the Lord, who? Who created the heavens and the earth. And if He can create the heavens and the earth, He can move that little tiny trial out of my way. This is where Jesus wants us to operate. This is where God wants us to live. And the only, excuse me, the only way we can live there is by doing what this parable says. It is by allowing ourselves to follow after the footsteps of Jesus Christ who willingly laid down his life for you and I a friend. And the only way that you and I are ever going to experience newness of life is when we are crucified with Christ ourselves. When we are buried into the baptism of his death so that we might be raised up in newness of life. Amen? In Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, God blessed the earth. And he blessed man and he gave them dominion. But after man sinned, after man rebelled, you can read all of this yourself. I'm not going to get into the detail of it. But after man sinned, after man rebelled against God, after man, Adam and Eve, did their own thing, leaned on their own understanding. In Genesis 3, verses 14 to 19, we find that God cursed the earth and he cursed man as well. And here's what I want you to get. Now, instead of supernatural man who had dominion over every living thing. Now, instead of man ruling over the earth, the Bible said man would have to toil with the earth. Now, instead of man having dominion over the earth, man would now have to sweat over the earth. Doesn't sound like God's original plan, does it? Doesn't sound like dominion. Doesn't sound like heavenly authority. Doesn't sound like, like heavenly power to me. God created us to live above these things. To live above the toil. To live above the sweat. To live above the trial and the tribulation. But because of sin, man had to get their hands dirty now. Man had to toil with it and struggle with it and have difficulty with it. That's what sin does. It causes trials and tribulations. It causes us to sweat over things and worry over things and fear over things and fret over things. And we wish we wouldn't have to touch it. We wish we wouldn't have to get our hands messy. God, why you got me in the middle of this junk? It's because of sin. The only way that we will make it past all of that again is by planting ourselves in Jesus Christ. So we can reestablish the authority and the dominion and the power God originally designed each and every one of us to have. How many of you want to operate in that, that power? You want to operate in that dominion and authority? Want to operate? Look, this is not make-believe stuff. Jesus said, if you would just find your rightful place in me, whenever a mountain stands before you, by faith you could say unto that mountain, be thou moved and cast into the sea, and it shall obey. And be moved. This is not make-believe stuff. This is the reality of God's word. And he's urging us 
to find that place in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because of Adam and Eve's fall, we too are all now under the curse of sin and death. And I know that led me in a complete different direction, but now as I get ready to close, don't put the music on yet, but as I get ready to close, this takes us all the way back to the hour in which Christ would finally be glorified. Because Jesus understood as he was telling this parable church that the only way for us to find newness of life, the only way for us to be restored to that place of power and dominion and to that place of authority, the only way for us to come out from under that curse church, the only way for us to once again take on the character and the likeness of God and of Jesus Christ would be for Jesus himself to taste our death would be for Jesus himself to go to the ground and die in our place. It's why he says in verse 24, and I'm hoping this gives you a better understanding of it now, verily, verily, certainly, certainly, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and die, it remains by itself. Jesus was saying, unless I be buried, I cannot conquer death. Unless I be buried... I cannot rise up in newness of life unless I be buried, unless this temple be destroyed. I cannot raise it up in three days unless I be high and lifted up and placed upon that cross. I cannot draw all men unto myself. I will myself remain alone, still separated himself. See, the reality was when God came, when Jesus came down, he had to separate himself from the power of God himself. That's why he became as the son of man. Even though he came as the son of God, he was still the son of man. But here's what you need to see. Unless I, unless I go through this hour as the son of man, unless I go through this, you will have no hope. You will have no life. This is what Jesus was saying. He understood that unless he did this, you and I would be lost for all eternity. But then he goes on and he says, but if I give myself to the grave, if I lay down my life, if I be planted in the ground, if I humble myself even to the point of death, even death on a cross, then those who are under a curse, then those who are dead, yet shall they live. This is what Jesus was saying. Paul said in Romans 6, 3 to 4, don't you know that all of us were baptized into that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that Christ just as Christ who was raised from the dead to the glory of the father you and i too might be raised in newness of life you see jesus understood unless he died our death we would not experience life he understood from the foundation of the earth that unless he paid this price unless he went through this hour we wouldn't be here this evening. I wouldn't be preaching. You wouldn't be hearing. Choir wouldn't be singing. Orchestra wouldn't be playing. This entire world would be lost in darkness without hope, without love, without any future. But Jesus sent his only son to die a death on our behalf. So that why? So that we could have an opportunity to be raised up in newness of life. Here's what you need to understand as I get ready to bring this to a close. Go ahead and put on the music. One of the most important things that you must understand about this parable in John chapter 12, church, 
is who it was that wanted to see Jesus. Remember, the beginning of the parable started with some individuals that wanted to see Jesus. But the individuals that wanted to see him, it wasn't his disciples, even though it was Philip and Andrew that went and told Jesus, someone wants to see you. It wasn't the the disciples that wanted to see him. It wasn't the Jewish leaders or the priests that wanted to see him. It wasn't the Pharisees or the Sadducees. It wasn't even the experts in the law that wanted to see Jesus. It wasn't even anyone from the Hebrew nation that wanted to see Jesus. It was the Greeks that were seeking after Jesus. It was the Greeks, the Bible tells us, that wanted to worship at the Jewish festival of the booths or the feast of the tabernacles. It was the Gentiles who wanted to see Jesus. It was the Gentiles at that moment in time who wanted to come into right relationship with God. They wanted what the Jewish nation had. They wanted what the Hebrews had. They wanted to come into relationship with Jesus Christ and be united with Jehovah. And Jesus understood. Listen, the Jews were the chosen people. The Jews were the royal priesthood and the holy nation. They were the people of promise. And the Gentiles said, I want a piece of that promise too. I want a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want a relationship with the Father God. I want to know Jehovah. I want to worship Him just like you worship Him. I want to serve Him just like you serve Him. You see, there were Gentiles that wanted a relationship with God. They wanted to be... They wanted a relationship with Jesus, but Jesus knew the only way that was going to happen. Two things had to happen. First, Christ had to taste their death. And secondly, they had to taste Christ's. You see, the reality is the only way that you and I can experience the dominion and the authority and the power God has designed us to have That he created man to have. The only way that you and I could ever be raised up in newness of life. The only way that you and I can come into right relationship with God depends on two things. And two things only. One, that Christ tasted our death. He's already done that, church. He's already paid the price. You see, the reality is Christ has already been glorified. Christ has already been exalted. Christ's hour has already come and already gone. He's already received that name which is above every name. He's already been exalted to that highest place of honor. He's already seated at the right hand of God. He's already gone before us, church. He's already paid the price. And he's already gone to the grave. The question is, are we willing to taste his death? You see, because he goes on and he says... He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I go, there shall my servant go also. If anyone serves me, then the Father will honor him. You see, the reality is Jesus already took the first step. Jesus did everything that he could possibly do, church. He already paid the price. He already did everything that I said. So the next step is up to you and I. If you and I truly want to experience that, that supernatural power that God made available to us, if we want to walk in dominion and authority, if we want to walk in the power of heaven, if we want to experience that relationship that Jesus says we can have, the next step is up to us. 
And that step is exactly what we just read here. We've got to follow him. And he said, and where I go there, my servant shall go also. Jesus came to go to one place and one place only. That was to the cross and to the grave and back to his father. Everything else he did was just to reveal who he was. But he had one goal. He had one purpose. He had one plan. It was to go to the cross. It was to go to the grave. It was to be resurrected and, and back to his father so that we might follow in that same path. And this is what he's saying. This is what I'm closing with. For us to experience what God has promised, we've got to walk the walk of Jesus Christ. We've got to be willing to walk to the cross, church, and crucify ourselves with Christ. So like I said, we might be baptized into his death. And once baptized into his death, we can too be raised up in newness of life. You see, this is what Jesus is saying. The only way for you to find life, the only way for you to find power and dominion and authority and have it manifested in your life is to follow him to the cross, to that place of glory where you're willing to say like Paul did in Galatians 2.20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. So the life I now live, I live for Christ. The Bible says, Paul said, Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. So the life I live, I now live for Christ. And here's the question I end with. Who are you living your life for, church? If we're not living our life for Jesus Christ, we're never going to experience newness of life. We're never going to experience. He said, the life I now live, I live for Jesus Christ. If you want to experience newness of life, if you want to experience the power and the authority and the kingdom of God moving on your behalf, you've got to live for Christ every day of your life. Every day that you wake up, you've got to say what Paul said. It is no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives within me. And the life that I'm about to live today, God, I'm going to live for you. The words that I speak, I'm going to speak for you. The thoughts that I think, I'm going to think for you. The, the life that I touch, I'm going to touch for you. You see, listen to me, church, and I know I'm running out of time. You can go through life, you can go through life touching people for yourself. Or you can go through life touching people for God. You can go through life touching this brother, this sister, so you can get something out of it. So you can be exalted. So you can be glorified. Or you can go through life touching people so God is glorified. And so Jesus Christ is glorified. And listen to me. When God is glorified, the Bible says the Son is glorified. And when the Son is glorified, the Bible has told us that we are glorified by the Father. So if you want to be glorified by the Father, every day you wake up, God, this day is yours. Every day, time you go to work, God, this moment is yours. Just like Jesus submitted himself to the hour of glorification, we've got to submit our entire life to God for his glory as well. And when we do, listen to me, when that trumpet sounds, when the clouds roll back, when the Lord descends with a shout, all of those... Who have lived their life for God. All of those who have gone the way of the cross. And crucified themselves with Christ. Will be reunited with their father. Who is in heaven. Amen. If you want to walk in newness of life. Stand with me and yield yourself to the Lord in prayer tonight. Amen. You might be walking in newness of life. But if you be honest with yourself like I am with me. There's areas of my life that need some life. Amen. 
maybe it's prayer life. Maybe it's family life. Maybe it's finances. But in the midst of it all, you're saying, God, no matter what goes on in my life, I'm going to live my life for you. And when I do, I know that you will honor me. When I glorify you, I know that you'll honor me. Amen. Father God, we thank you for your word this evening. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your revelation, for your truth. We thank you, Father God, that that you have been able to to break down this word this evening, at least for me, in a way that I can communicate it. And it is my prayer that it was heard, Father God, that there were truths that were received and revelation that was received. And now I pray, Father God, that these words, these seeds, Father God, would find a way in the depths of every soul that's here this evening. Father God, that those seeds would bear much fruit. And I pray, Father God, that as we stand here tonight, we would be willing to say, I am crucifying myself to Christ. I pray, God, that tonight we would be willing to walk the way of the cross and yield ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Father, it's our desire that you use us. It is our desire, Father God, to experience the power and the dominion and the authority that you have desired and designed us to have. But God, the only way we can have that is by walking the way of the cross. The only way we can have that is by walking the way of Christ. The only way we can experience that is to live our life each and every day for the Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray that you would strengthen your people tonight by the power of your Holy Spirit to do the will of the Father and not the will of the flesh. To yield themselves to the voice of heaven and not to the voice of the world. I pray, God, that you would help us to overcome the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life that would keep us from the cross, O God. That would keep us from experiencing newness of life. I pray that you would help us to experience that at every level in our life. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Can we just bless the Lord, church? Amen. Amen. I feel like God delivered what I wanted Him to deliver. I pray that you received it. If you have a special need or prayer, be happy to tarry with you. Otherwise, go and walk the way of the cross and live like Jesus Christ. Amen.